I'm excited today to begin a new series um, called The Covenant of the Spirit. We have had a, a fascinating group of people joining our church, and I'm excited about that and coming and visit with us. But I have found out that uh, many of us in our country, because of the wide variety of churches, because of the great diversity of churches, because of our own hopping around from church to church attitudes and perhaps the lack of commitment to a way, I don't know, um, many of us have what I call um, Miss Anderson, which wasn't happening in your generation. Uh, many of us have what I called a buffet kind of Christianity, where we pick and choose those things that we like best. And as we go from one church into another, we, we find, oh, I like this about this church, oh, I like that about that church, and that's good. But the problem is, <coughs> pardon me, that there is a lack of a cohesion, there is a lack of a structure, there is a lack of a comprehensive understanding of how all that comes together. And that's what I'm going to be trying to attempt to do in the coming weeks. I'm using the rubric, the large umbrella, the as we see umbrellas, the large theme of the covenant of the Spirit. Because throughout history, God has been employing, God has been God's energy, perhaps, God's direction, God's work, God's, should I even use God's anxiety <laughs> to do something? God's energy has been dedicated, listen to this, to bring well-being to God's own creation by forming a new people out of two the church, and that that church is embodied gracefully and mysteriously by the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. God's energy, God's efforts, God's direction has always been directed and dedicated to bring well-being to God's own creation by forming a new people the church, and that that church is embodied, dwelt, lived, habitated, possessed by God's Spirit. Do you get it? Then let's go home. <laughs> God, if I do it this quickly, I'll be good. Yeah. But that is the attempt, you know, and, and Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel kind of picked that idea that God was really trying to get to humanity by stretching in that painting in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. God is forward, thrusting forward towards humanity. But if you look at the painting, Adam is leaning back, nonchalant, kind of like, eh, if you insist. Look at the fingers. Look at the strength in the fingers. Look at the weak, limp Humanity, and look at the energy God moving, thrusting towards us. You see, a covenant is an agreement, a pact, a contract, a commitment, a promise, pledge, or a bond between two equal parties. And this is where the problem begins. 
Because if a contract is in agreement between two equal parties, that is not the case in this situation. That may be the idea in the legal realm where a contract is actually dealt between two individuals and basically the whole uh, idea of the dispute, the conflict is resolved, but not necessarily the relationship is resolved. The fiduciary, the legal aspect is resolved, but you go your way, I go my way. And I don't want to see you for the rest of my life. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> So the, the interesting thing is that, that if a covenant is that and it requires two people, two parties that are equal, that is the problem because there is no equality between God and us. God is God and we are God's creation. We are the handmade. We were made by God. We were not created by ourselves, so we're not equal to God. But God using our mental and human mentality, used, uses the word covenant as to, uh, as to come together with us. You see, the word covenant comes from the Latin conveniere. Remember that one? Conveniere. Conveniere. Which is convene. We use it also in English. Which is to come together. And the issue also is that while God is attempting to bring us together, we are attempting to run away from God because we have it figured out. We have a better idea than God's idea. We are on our own. But Scripture shows us that there are two kinds of covenants in our Western Scriptures. Actually, there may be several, and, and Darby way back in the 19-whatevers started coming out with all sorts of bizarre stuff about, he found maybe some 70-some covenants in the Bible. Okay, fine. But there are two basic covenants, and we know one has to be the Old Testament and one to be the New Testament. Testament is another word for covenant. The old agreement with God and the new agreement with God. But the whole attempt of this convenience, of, of this covenants, of this conveniere is for God to come together with God's own creation because creation has gone away. God had a covenant with Noah and that we know to be the covenant with the famous Rainbow. God also built and did a covenant with Abraham. God did a covenant with Moses. God did a covenant with David. But it's the same covenant because it is God's attempt to become involved and to bring together God and humanity. The old covenant can be also called the covenant of law. The covenant of law is because is known that way because it is illustrated by the covenant of the Ten Commandments. However, in the New Testament, something new and different will happen because God, who had a way of dealing, come over here. God, who had a way of dealing with people, will now have a different way of dealing with other people. God, who designed a way of dealing with humans in a particular way, God is now going to design a different way, a new way to deal with humanity. Okay, simple. So God is going to work out a way in which God can become our friend because we are running away or we just don't care. Where we find God's consistent attempt to come towards humanity, we remain running from God. You see, God offers promises, privileges. He declares responsibilities are given. But God, knowing our inability, our powerlessness and impotence, 
and even our unwillingness as a humanity to come to God, God then takes the initiative. God initiates this coming together between God and humanity. God's energy, like I said at the beginning, is and has been dedicated to bring the well-being to God's own creation by forming a new people, the church, and that church is embodied, is lived mysteriously and gracefully by the Spirit of God. One of the covenants that we have heard in, in, um, in the Bible is in Jeremiah. And these covenants are kind of similar. They always say what God is promising to do, I will do, I will do, I will do. And it's interesting that God guarantees God's own action. Even though covenants are sometimes a prid pro quo, if you do this, I'll do this. God knows our failing, and God knows our weakness. God knows our unwillingness, and God is going to do it for us, with us, in spite of us. And that's the amazing thing. In Jeremiah 31, we find these words. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. By the way, as Christians, when you see the word Israel, and the land of Israel, since we're on this side of history, you have to read church and the kingdom of God. Because that's what it means for us today. You see, uh, in Galatians, Paul declares the church to be the new Israel of God. Not so much nationalistic, Zionistic Israel today. But the church is the new Israel of God. So we who live in the New Testament with illumination and revelation of Christ being our Lord and Savior and being the promised Messiah, when we look, look back into the Old Testament and we read Israel, we're talking about the kingdom of God. When we read the land that I would have promised to you is the church, the land, the realm of God. It's not a physical land like it was for them back then, and it's not a city like it was back then. It is the realm of God. It is the church of God. Not, and I will make this new covenant for the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenants I made in the past with their fathers on the day when I took them from the land of, of Egypt. My covenant that they, was, they broke. He's saying it. They broke that covenant. Nobody could have kept the, the laws. So they broke that covenant has been broken. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel, with the people of God, including us. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I, will, and I shall be, pardon me, I will put the law within them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one Teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Actually, that last sentence, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will not blame them for their sin no more, was a new addition. The Israelites have never heard God talking about forgiveness until here. The famous Passover or, or, or the Feast of, of Forgiveness, it's not that the, the Jews are forgiven. It's that the wrath of God, the anger of God is pushed back. They weren't forgiven. 
So this declaration in Jeremiah declares that they, that God is going to be forgiven. You see, every time from Genesis all the way through Ezekiel, the covenant of God is expanded or explained a little bit more. Let's read it like I have it, like the Ezekiel one that, that we have in Scripture. Uh, you have it in your worship guide. It's Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 28. And this is the same covenant from the same God to the same people, but God is adding, evolving, amplifying what God is doing. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Remember, the land for us today is the kingdom of God, the church. Then I will sprinkle clear, clean water on you, and you will be clean, your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit, and I will take your own stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit... What is that? And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I have given your ancestors for long ago. You will be my people, and I will be your God, the word of the Lord. You see, the efforts of God and doings of God, in our text, we find that God is doing, He's performing the promise. Look at the different I wills here in the text, as you have it in your pages. You see, God takes the initiative because we are not able, we don't care. Remember the finger? This is how much we want God. then God takes the initiative, and God says, I will gather you from all nations. That's the first thing God does. God calls out God's people. God will bring them from the north and from the south, from the east and from the west, to form a new people, to bring together, and God come together from that moment on and create something new. That's what happens in this day. The church is created. That division that divided both the Jews and the Gentiles now is broken down, and we become one nation, one people under God, the church. Not the United States of America. Don't go that way. That's a heresy. If many, in many places in Scripture, God says that God will bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Today, we celebrate in Pentecost the story that God has brought people from the north, south, east, and west. And we see it in the story of Pentecost when Peter dares to preach out from the windows of the upper room, which was a hotel room that they rented, and he's out proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and 3,000 people. And the gospel tells us from they were from the whole known world of those days. So God will bring us together, and we see that in the story of Pentecost. God will also sprinkle us, he says. God will sprinkle and will have us clean and will take away our filth. You see, it, this is an act of cleansing, an act of purifying, an act of consecration. 
God does not sprinkle just to have the things grow. That happens with rain. God sprinkles us with the waters of baptism as we are born and we're claimed into the church and we're expected to live in the realm of God. And one time in our own, we will discover that God is our love, that God initiated God's love towards me, and I am going to respond to God because God loved me first. I will sprinkle you and I will clean the filth. An act of consecration. It means also that we are washed by the water, we're washed by the blood, and we're washed by the word of God that cleanses us. As we are washed, our old understanding of life and faith moves off, and a new understanding of life and faith invades our understanding, our lives. No longer does guilt rule our lives, but forgiveness and freedom rules our life. Pat, did you see that? No longer guilt rules our life, but freedom and peace rules our lives because we are in Christ. So he sprinkles that joy on us. The scripture continues, says, and I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. Notice that the word spirit is in small s. Because it is speaking about our spirit. It's speaking about our hearts. It's speaking about our attitudes. It's speaking about our way of looking, our glasses, our perspectives. And he says, I will give you a new perspective. I will give you a new way of looking at life. I will give you a different heart. Because one is stony and stubborn, indifferent, hostile, angry, proud, egocentric, selfish, and ignorant about God. And God is going to take that heart away, and God is going to place an attitude of tenderness, responsiveness to heart, of humbleness, of meekness. And this is the principal one of all, of acquiring a spirit of teachability, being teachable by God, being, be, being taught by God. So let's be teachable in every way in which we can. He also says, not only will I, will I bring you from other nations, not only will I sprinkle you, not only will I give you a new heart, but then the core of the whole message, I will put my spirit within you. You see, Christianity, out of all the world religions that we have studied, because there are many that we have, don't even know what, what they are, because there's nothing about them. But of all the world religions that we can study, we can find, Christianity is the only one that talks about the God, the divinity, dwelling with us and in us. It's the only one. It's the only one. All other religions, you always have to be appeasing the gods. You always have to be dealing with the gods up there, and they are remote and aloof and away from us. Christianity guarantees and says and proclaims that God is with us. That's why perhaps Andrew Murray wrote the book Practicing the Presence of God. As he realized that God is with us, God is with me, how do I become on a daily basis aware of that presence of God? The scripture finishes with amazing words. I will be your people, and I mean, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Over 33 times that phrase appears in the Old Testament. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Because God is committed to, to come and live and come together with us. God's promises ensures, guarantee, and makes it happen. 
over 33 times, you will be my people and I will be your God. For we are weak, but God is strong. For we are poor in spirit, but God is rich in love. For we are the sheep of God's pastures. I will, you will be my people and I will be your God. He, for we are the living bones. We are the children of the living God. We are the community of Christ, the community of the beloved. For I will be your God, and you will be my people. And he will pour his spirit in us. And God's kind of love will dwell in our hearts. And God's kind of peace will dwell in our hearts. And God's kind of joy will dwell in our hearts. And God's kind of forbearance and forgiveness will dwell in our hearts. And God's form of kindness will dwell in our hearts. For you will be my people and I will be your God. For God's form of goodness will be in our hearts. For God's kindness and faithfulness will be in our hearts. For God's ways of gentleness will be in our hearts. And God's power of self-control will be in our hearts. For you will be my people, and I will be your God. God's energy is and has been dedicated to bring well-being to God's own creation by forming a new people, the church, and that that people would be embodied by God in a graceful and mysterious manner. Praise be to God. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are such a weird God. Why would you even come and dwell with us so filthy so rebellious, so not into you, but into ourselves. It baffles our mind, but it humbles us and moves us into gratitude towards you and your grace. Help us understand that mystery that you live within, that no longer do we have to burn incense unless I want the house to smell good. Or no longer do we have to fry foods unless we want to eat them. Or cut cows unless we want some steak. To please you. But you just want our hearts, our minds, ourselves to be teachable, to be meek and humble like Jesus was so that your presence become more real in our lives. And when others see us, they wouldn't see us necessarily, but they would see the fruit of the Spirit in us. We thank you, O oh God, for that privilege of calling us to be your people and that you will be our God. What an amazing thing. May we live in that reality on a daily basis. This morning, oh God, we pray for our friends and sisters and brothers who are traveling, and there are many of them, taking deserving little breaks and vacations. We also pray and thank you for those who finished their academic year, for Kenny who graduated, and for Taylor who just finished her first full year of college successfully. We thank you for them. And we thank you for all who are trying to improve their lives through education. Help us, O oh God, to value education to such a degree that we all become students as a lifestyle, students and disciples of you and one another. 
We pray for those members in our congregation who are sick, who are ill, who are just not feeling well enough to come and share with us. We pray for them and we lift them up to you. We also pray for our community and for our schools, 22, 23 shootings, and yet nothing's been done about it. We mourn for that situation, O oh Lord. But the church remains silent. We pray for 57,000 families who have been here legally and documented for 20-some years who now, by the whims of somebody in the White House, they're no longer legal and documented. We pray for the over one million DACA kids whose life has been turned around after experiencing normal life. Now they're on the run and hiding. Again, because of persecution, because of hate, because of racism and discrimination. That's it. There's no other reason, God. Forgive us. But we also pray for justice and we pray for for our freedom to continue to love and open our arms for others. We pray for our first respondents. We pray for our doctors, hospital nurses, mental health workers in our community, oh God, who are helping others, acquiring that well-beingness. But we thank you above all for he who came and died and rose again but ascended into heaven so that the Spirit could come and dwell with us. And thus, God's presence is with us always. And He taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And amen.